Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Haito from AWS. Hey, welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me, dude. It's an honor. Um, so let's maybe start by just uh, introducing yourself uh, to the audience and talk about uh, what you've been up to and uh, what your career has been like at AWS. Sure. Oh, that's a long story. Let's let's start with the with the first one. Um, I'm a principal solutions architect focused on on developers at AWS. So that's pretty much from serverless containers uh, to anything that a developer usually uses to build their applications on AWS. I've been in AWS for seven years, I think, at this point. Yeah, it's in seven years in August. Uh, but I've been pretty much in all in multiple roles in the field. I started as a support engineer back in 2013, and then made my way through front to a technical account manager and then an enterprise solutions architect focused in the retail industry. And then I became the first specialist uh, solutions architect for serverless in Europe, Middle East and Africa. And then uh, you probably saw that closely. And then I moved to the well-architected team to lead uh, the serverless lens and get this out of the door. And now I'm back to being a principal solutions architect in a new team uh, that's responsible for enabling developers in customers' account. We've known each other for quite a while now, uh, and there's quite a number of years, actually. Uh, actually I think since uh, you were working as a technical account manager at the Just Eat. Um, so I guess I want to maybe talk a little bit about the, the well architecture framework because it's been something that's really useful to the community uh, and the maybe let's talk about what it is and how should customers uh, be using it. Absolutely. So the well architecture framework started as solutions architects, uh, technical account managers and what we call field experts were going to customers and meeting them and helping them with their business requirements, how to best use AWS. But all of this knowledge was mostly a tribal knowledge or something in, mostly available internally at AWS. Uh, Fitz, uh, back in the days, uh, Philip Fitzsimons, he had this idea of actually creating a framework that was generic enough that could be used by the vast majority of customers. Uh, since then, the well-architected became like the go-to uh, guide, if you will, for anything that, as long as you're looking for best practices on how to do the best possible operations on AWS, performance, security, cost, and even reliability, uh, that became both a more of a academic paper uh, to guide architects, developers, pretty much everyone at the customer and partners, how to best navigate AWS, what are the questions and processes they should be thinking, which it was something agnostic from the implementation itself. If they were to choose serverless or containers or bare virtual machines, if you will, well architected was there to help them. Two years ago, uh, more, more, more specifically 2017, uh, Fitz had this idea of well architected is great, but it's as the platform grows, it's nearly impossible to cater for every best practice, every use case especially places like serverless where you go deeper into the application development and you have to change your mindset in some areas. The web architect created this idea called Lens. The idea of Lens was initially in 2017, a project to give specific best practices for an area that we know it would deviate from the classic web architect. For example, when I started writing the serverless best practices uh, with three other people, we, we found that the well-architected guidance of 
you have to use availability zones, you have to use EBS and all these other best practices that are like gold standards wouldn't quite apply to serverless because in fact, there was a funny joke uh, with a, one of my first customers in serverless in 2016 that he said, the thing I like the most about using serverless uh, to joke with uh, some of my colleagues is that I open up Trust Advisor on AWS and it's pretty much green. Serverless takes care of all of that for me. I don't have to do, think about some of the operational bits. So the serverless lens was the idea of let's dive into some of the common challenges uh, people have with serverless, some of the best practices, lessons we learned from these customers, partners, and even from ourselves by building uh, some solutions in AWS, by building some open source, and trying to condense that into a paper. That's how the serverless lens uh, kind of started. And then last year, as you also helped, so thank you for that, we we got this out to the AWS console. So that's kind of a where we're architected and serverless lens history in a bit. So I guess a, a, a common question I've got from people is that uh, how does a practice become incorporated into the well-architected framework? I mean, at what point does a practice become considered as a best practice by AWS? Sure. So Web Architected has a very strict process on getting something to be called best practices. Uh, but even back in the days when serverless, we had this idea of how can we call X best practice if we don't we don't know for sure if this is gonna let's say be timeless, which is one of the main benefits of Web Architected guidance. Uh, specifically for Lens, which I've been involved more closely. Uh, we we have a bunch of rules, but the first that comes to mind that's public and it makes sense is if it's got to work for 80% of our customers. That's something that has to work for the vast majority of use cases. For the last 20%, we consider them a edge or leading practice, which is it's something that we know it works for a, for some for a let's say a large chunk of customers, but it may not be true as you start applying. What if this customer is enterprise? What if this customer has a monolith? What if this customer is in, in a, is a startup? Or what if this customer doesn't have uh, a large organization structure that could deploy some people to tackle this particular problem? So the 80-20% rule is something like at the top of our heads. As, long, as soon as we start something, if it's a new feature, if it's a new service, do we have enough customers using it? Do we have enough stories and customer use cases about this service or that particular feature. Does that, if we look at the pillars, performance, reliability, security, and cost, if I do this best practice, does that make me worse off in any of other areas? Or does that help me get an overall standard or score, if you will? So these are the two public ones that I can say. I'm happy to dive into those, into more specifics on how some of, the, some of the ones that we use for serverless lens, if you like. So for customers who are interested in the well-architected framework and want to apply that to their existing application or a new application that they're building, what's the best way for them to get started? Are there, I guess there's a lot of consultancies that offer that as a service, but is that something that they can do themselves? Absolutely. Uh, there's, there's this misconception that Web Architected is supposed to use when you go to production or when you are about to go to production with a use case. In fact, we want customers and we want partners as well to use Web Architected as an educational tool as well. It can obviously help reviewing what they have, 
but it could definitely give you some of those practices and tips, uh, uh, design patterns, if you will, very early on. If you go to the AWS console, it will be the easiest way to start. You can search for well-architected in the console once you're logged in, and you can define a new workload, and you can select, uh, in this case, uh, service lens. And you can even add a dummy project, if you will, just so you can see the type of questions we would ask, the type of best practices we expect you to implement. And you also have a report at the end with links, more details, and some videos explaining why is a good idea to implement those best practices. I think that's where I would recommend uh, customers who are even already experts on AWS, but also customers who are beginning at AWS, so they have some good foundations to start. And uh, I guess something that's related to uh, some work you've been doing recently is uh, how do we, how do customers then apply those best practices easily? Because one of the common theme we see is that, okay, it's you know, good practice to use uh, to do um, custom metrics, for example, for application level stuff. Uh, but what are the, you know, how do I do that? Uh, there's a lot of question marks around, oh, do we you know, you know, make API calls to CloudWatch metrics ourselves? Or are there some other tools that help us to do that, like uh, embedded the uh, metric format? Maybe talk about some of the things you've been working on recently that makes it easy for customers to, uh, I guess, um, follow these uh, best practices. Sure. When when we wrote the serverless lens, uh, one of the one of the pieces I loved about the lens idea from the well architected was, we want to be pragmatic. We want to tell you what the questions are, the best practices are, and we want to tell you how you could implement that and give you some examples. For instance, when we talk about metrics, before the serverless lens, we would say they would need to have some business metrics, some uh, operational metrics, but we wouldn't quite tell you exactly what type of metrics. These are how would you create them if you were on Lambda, for instance. When you when you go to the serverless, uh, when you go to the AWS Well-Architected Console and answer a few questions, there's a tab that says Improvement Plan or Recommended Items, if you will. The Improvement Plan, as we call it, is it's basically giving you uh, the how-to of these are some examples that are open source that you can you can use to help you implement a said best practice or these are some of the links, uh, tutorials, or even articles uh, that you wrote, Jan, uh, on how to do X best practice as well. I think that's one of the differentiators about the Lens project for well-architected uh, compared to the classic one, which is a more broad. But that said, there was there's still actually a big opportunity for us as a cloud provider, uh, including serverless heroes as well, to help customers and guide them in how they can do some of these best practices more easily. So we, we come up with two things. So one was um, the wellarchitectedlabs.com, which is a website that you can, if you've done well-architected and you're looking to do the implementation bits, whether you're doing serverless or not, there are, I think, over 30 labs already across all of those pillars, security operations, uh, reliability and security, that you can, you can basically even go from understanding how to do best cost optimizations to do some chaos monkey or chaos engineering, if you will, or even actually creating incident playbooks from security standpoint. Those were great, and that came before the serverless labs actually were available. But one of the pieces I found when I was writing the lens uh, for the console was, 
we could definitely give you links and give you more content and more, which is, there's not, there's not a problem of content. I think at the moment, I think is the opposite problem. We have a lot of content out there. We just need to make it easier to, for people to find the content. So what I, what I, what I promised at reInvent last year was some of those best practices shouldn't be that hard. Uh, we should definitely do uh, a, a more collaborative work with the community on how can we do tooling to empower you to adopt those best practices more easily, especially because we are the ones also telling you what the best practices are. So we started this project called uh, the Power Tools, which obviously is heavily, uh, it, it's, it's heavily, uh, bi I wouldn't say biased uh, towards the AWS tooling per se. I think that's not the word I'm looking for. Sometimes English fails on me. Uh, that Zen uh, and obviously you were, were primarily a big influence uh, to Actually, that's a great idea. I was speaking to Simon at Dazan when he was presenting to us internally, and I thought, why don't we have something like this? It shouldn't be that hard for customers to do custom metrics asynchronously on it on, on from serverless applications. It shouldn't be that hard to basically capture code start for tracing and do tracing annotations or labels, if you will. Do some of those good operational practices that sometimes you learn them way too late. So that's where the Power Tools project came along. And we are obviously just at the very start. We went GA last week. So uh, for customers, we would expect them to go either from the improvement plan that we tell them uh, through the console, what are the actions and how to they can do. Well-architected labs, they can have a more hands-on experience on how to implement those best practices, no matter if it's serverless or not. And the power tools as we started now, specifically for Python, which is the language I love the most, but there's obviously other languages we care too, uh, to implement some of the operational, specifically observability best practices. Yeah, I'm really glad that you guys uh, took that idea of uh, having some power tools that, in, uh, that I guess uh, implement a lot of these uh, best practices for correlation IDs, for metrics, and for tracing, and uh, you know, make that uh, open source and available to everyone. Because that was that was, that was something that we that I found uh, constantly that when I go into a team that you know it's it's easy for me to tell them this is what you need to do, but it's quite hard for them to then for people then to then realize uh, how they're actually gonna be able to do it and it's also a lot of work as well if you don't know what you're doing so having those tooling that does this you know the right thing for you out of the box without you know getting in your way has been really really useful at least within the zone to adopt some of these best practices another thing i think as i want to mention as well is the your airline project i think that was quite a big turning point in terms of the kind of content that AWS puts out there. There's a lot of articles, there's a lot of blog posts, but they're all quite trivial and you never quite see how the bacon is made <laughs> per se. And I think your airline project was one of the first projects that's available in the public domain that really shows how all these different things that you and I have been and other people have been talking about, how they all fit together in a non-trivial project. Yeah, and actually forgot that. Uh, it, it's something I, now that I finished uh, the Power Tools, at least for the GA, it's something I want to get back to it and uh, implement the other best practices and even actually do a, a public well-architected, which i never seen it before. And I asked on Twitter and people were quite uh, uh, happy about that idea. So the, the, the service airline was those, that, the same idea when we were doing the serverless lens. Uh, Fitz, uh, who was heading the web architected back then, and now it's Rodney, also both brilliant folks. Uh, we 
we were we were coming together into this. We are telling customers on how to do those best practices, but I think getting a reading out 82 pages of the serverless lens is definitely a, like it can help a lot of people understand the mindset we are in, how the community sees serverless and some of those best practices. But as you pointed out, as you try trying to find some of those content and trying to basically find something that's more than a hello world example or something that's not specific to an industry per se that would let's say image resizing if you will is there wasn't something that you would for instance i've been working with i've been helping customers of all sizes in emea where along with my colleagues to basically help them how do you how do i get this monolith and start decomposing this into serverless or when do i use serverless when do i not use serverless how do I use REST versus GraphQL? Should I use Gatsby? Should I use server-side rendering? So there's lots of questions that it would be hard to answer in a paper or in a well-architected uh, console, for instance. So the service airline was this idea of, I know nothing about the travel industry of some of the underlying pieces. I know it's too complex. But I thought instead of one of the pieces I wanted to prove was serverless wasn't only for uh, the startups likes or for uh, greenfield applications. But there's always this the same discussions about how do I structure my code? How do I organize my, my functions? Should I do everything in a single function, multiple functions? What are common best practices when you're using uh, SAM or serverless framework or infrastructure as code, if you will? How do I integrate my service application with a containers or and my payment provider or anything else. When do I use synchronous versus asynchronous? Should I use events all over the place? Uh, how do I do DDD, DDD, you name it. So the idea was, well, what, let's create something slightly fancier. And we try to incorporate most of these best practices in one place because you, I, I thought back then well, it would be easier to maintain and also easier to show customers that, that something as, as, as mundane and as routine for us to get picking up, looking up for the flight, paying for the flight, that can be done in serverless too. I just wanted to open uh, people's minds on that piece. And that's kind of how the airline started. And then we did Twitch with you and many other serverless heroes uh, like Slobodan, Alex, and Jeremy, and a few others, which I love them all. And I think... Like you said, I wasn't kind of expecting uh, to see that much of a jump. We are kind of nearly 1,000 stars on GitHub. There's been roughly uh, over over 150,000 social impressions on social media. Like people, I wasn't expecting that response from the community, I, especially because I had to learn design. And most of it was my first time doing something this big as well as an example. So I was kind of uh, treading carefully on I don't want to build something so complete that people will, will think they can just deploy that themselves and run in their, in, in their own industry, which is not the case. But also, how do I build something that's attractive enough that you wouldn't think that that's something completely serverless? Yeah, I thought that was great. And um, it, was, it was really nice to see that the Nicholas and a few other people have uh, since then also have done something similar. And I think Nicholas, uh, his project um, that showcases of how to use uh, EventBridge to build a really event-driven architecture. I thought that was really good, a nice uh, um, demo for people to see what that really looks like as well, where you want to go really heavy into event-driven uh, architectures and using EventBridge. 
And I think you also touched on earlier that uh, you have spent a lot of time uh, working with different AWS customers. Um, are there some others? Uh, are there others sort of common adoption trends that you are seeing amongst your um, your customers? Uh, things people are building, uh, different use cases, and so on. Sure, absolutely. So I think what you just pointed out, and I think Nicholas uh, from AWS did this example called uh, on GitHub, AWS serverless e-commerce platform. That for me was another breakthrough because it's another trend that's been happening since last year, but it's actually growing a lot stronger this year on customers starting to say, oh, we actually, we, 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 we're comfortable with REST, but we have this thing called Event Bridge, which is, uh, can help us with the, uh, having more events having a schema registry and having something more uh, managed for us. And, you know, kind of a the, the, what we used to do with MessageBus back in the days, but something more modern now. So event bridge or event driven architecture is something that's becoming a lot more popular now and more, more trending, if you will, if you will, in production. Sadly, I don't have a specific, uh, a bunch of customers I can name publicly. There's one in Sweden uh, that Nicholas has been working on. I forgot the name now, it's Matt Hem if I'm getting the, pronun the pronunciation correct, uh, which basically was what Nicola, Nicholas uh, got inspired to do the e-commerce uh, platform to showcase all of those good best practices about how do I do, how do I model an event in the first place? We, we, we tend to you go and shout about event-driven architectures and how beautiful this is and etc. But there wasn't anything that would help customers understand how do I, how does that look in practice? beyond a, a, a somewhat trivial example. And that's what Nicholas did uh, on that one. So, and that brings other questions that Nicholas also addressed in the e-commerce platform is uh, what is the tooling for event bridge? All of those questions are coming popping up right now. How do I, how do, I do integration tests for th things like events? Do I put a listener into that event and test if that went through all the way down? So these are kind of a trendy right now and something that I expect to grow even bigger as EventBridge keeps on innovating and listening to their customers. Another piece that I, I was actually took by surprise um, was CDK. So customers like Alma Media or even Liberty, specifically Alma Media, they, they showed me what they've been doing with CDK internally. And it was like staggering. And the amount of abstractions and modules and patterns and best practices, they were able to, to basically, uh, so Adi basically put together to basically improve the developer productivity and fast track all of their developers internally. You could think from things like, I need to do um, some integration with API Gateway and SNS, SQS, Kinesis, you name it. You know this takes some VTL and it takes some practice until you get it right or you need to get some domain certificates uh, and you need to do some single page application and you can choose between single, uh, single page application or server side rendering or practices like, I want to do ETL on AWS so I need something I can ingest uh, in a rapid um, transaction rate that could be, could be ingested and stored into multiple regions. So Alma Media did most of that, if not more, and I was very surprised by how much CDK enables larger enterprises to basically build those patterns early on and, and get to make something more easily available across the entire organization. I guess it's, it's, it, would be, it would be worth mentioning as well the work that Mark did and everyone, I guess, at Liberty IT, the CDK patterns. 
Yeah, I actually spoke with Ari recently on the, this podcast, uh, so I will put a link to that episode uh, in the show notes as well about some of the things that they've been doing uh, at the Alma Media. Um, not specifically about CDK, but I do know um, the work that I'm quite familiar with. The work that uh, Mark and those guys have done at Liberty for the CDK modules uh, is really powerful. What the uh, um, thing, what those guys are doing. And then the thing I guess I wanted to t- ask about is uh, in terms of the so common challenges that you see in your customers when they're trying to move to serverless. Sure. Um, I think the, because our, because it's quite, I'm trying to think on how to best explain without a visual uh, help. I think one of the ways I like to I like just I like to pre- present to customers is I, I built a, a user journey to explain some of the the typical enterprise uh, journey a, a serverless customers goes through. Uh, that's kind of a field experts that we work with customers. And when you divide customers in what we call foundation and reinvention from the from the classic stage of adoption um, uh, that that's on available on the internet, when you when their customers are on the foundation where they they are trying to use AWS, they have a project that they want to use or they want to migrate, and it crosses their mind that serverless could be a big enabler for them. And when it comes to that, there's uh, the challenges are not so much on the tech, but it's more around how do I structure my team to, to be autonomous? How do I empower these teams to make the right decisions? And how do I make sure that these teams are actually doing best for the company? And how do I, more importantly, how do I hire people now? Because it's a, it's a common thing in enterprise in certain industries where it has been for years that you would outsource most of it. So now you would have partners, consultants helping a lot in their journey to the cloud and modernizing or even migrating. But as they, try, as they are trying to create a new team and trying to create that structure, like let's say two pizza team, if you will, uh, or tribes and squads like in Spotify model. It's it's something that they, they have challenges of trying to hire those people, those talents who already had experience with microservices and also went, also possibly had experiences with serverless. There's obviously the tech mindset change as well when you are basically used to do everything locally with possibly not even we're not even going to talk about docker containers in a minute but it's more you are used to do everything locally running a postgres database locally or running an express if you if you're that modern already and so moving to the cloud specifically for serverless it's it's a big change of mindset on how you're not gonna you're not gonna basically do everything locally but just partially partially you also have different tooling as well, which you, you kind of get used to it. There's a lot of operations and a lot of the, the learnings you get when you go something like microservices. So customers in their foundation going from, let's say, data centers or a monolith, a reasonable monolith, straight to microservices and serverless, the challenges are mostly around okay, how do I even operate this thing? How do I structure my team? How do I, what is the tooling? How should I test it? So those questions are very different when you go to what we call the reinvention phase. Customers who are in the reinvention phase, they have the opposite problem. They sometimes are running containers already, Kubernetes or you name it, and they've possibly gone through the, micro, the microservices, two-pizza team model, autonomous teams, if you will. And now they're asking the opposite questions. Everyone is making different decisions. We've got Golang, we've got Java, we've got JavaScript, uh, Elixir or 
Kotlin, you name it. It's just like a lot of languages, a lot of tooling, and we we don't quite know uh, how to how to get it right. There was a customer that I admire, one of the customers I admire the most, who've gone through that journey, and it was very public about the whole piece uh, was called uh, Guilt, which is now called HPC Digital. They've They've gone through that transformation of actually going from a Ruby monolith to microservices and empower their teams and slowly. And they got to a point where back in 2015, when I was working with them, I think they had like seven deployment tools that their teams could use up to the point where I remember we had a discussion where teams weren't able to do a rollback because they changed between teams and now they didn't know how to roll back because the tool was different. So those questions are more popping up or challenges, if you will, in that reinvention phase. How do I how do I put some order in here and yet empowering everyone to do the right thing? How do I now go from the tooling I got used to it, from containers, from Docker to, to serverless? Uh, do I need to change anything? Obviously, you will need to do some refactoring, not and some pieces would stay in containers. So the challenges would change a bit uh, between this like foundation and reinvention phase. And obviously the size of the customer, an enterprise or a medium size, a small medium size SMB or a startup would change. But typically uh, that's what I've been seeing for the past five to six years uh, when trying to do serverless containers and all those pieces. Yeah, that's very similar to a lot of the things that I've seen as well when I'm working with my own clients. And uh, certainly those problems are really, really common, especially for large enterprises, uh, that uh, that fragmentation of tooling and uh, uh, languages and uh, supporting different uh, runtimes and different systems they have uh, is a bit of a mess. <laughs> I want to take a moment to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, Chaos Search. Chaos Search is the fully managed log analytics platform that uses your Amazon S3 storage as the data store. Companies like Armor, HubSpot, Alert Logic and many more are already using Chaos Search as a critical part of their infrastructure and processing terabytes of log data every day. Because Chaos Search uses your Amazon S3 storage, there is no moving data around, no data retention limits, and you can save up to 80% versus other methods of log analysis. So if you're sick and tired of your Elk stack falling over or having your data retention squeezed by increasing costs, then visit chaosearch.io today and join the log analysis revolution. Uh, I guess the one thing I want to also touch on before we go as well is um, you have this amazing uh, um, career at AWS. You progress uh, through different uh, teams, different areas. Uh, and one question I've been getting quite often uh, from social media is, uh, well, how, do, how does one you know, prepare himself or herself to join AWS? There's uh, maybe this misconception that you need to be AWS certified <laughs> to be able to join AWS. So what, what advice would you give to someone who's uh, listening and aspiring to join AWS one day? Sure. Uh, <laughs> funny enough, that's what I've been doing the most uh, recently. Uh, and um, that's definitely a misconception. I I remember. I'm not sure how funny it is. I think I think it, I mean it might be a bit of a little bit of overexposure on the personal piece for me. But when I when I did the first interview, it was I think I did roughly seven hours of interviews of AWS. Back in the days, was actually a phone screen, and then they have an on-site loop, uh, which we still kind of have the same practice. But for me, who never done something like that, was 
oh my god i've got to prepare all all linux i was a networking guy in infrastructure sysadmin sre whatever you want to call it these days um but i remember i was like i was studying every possible configuration management tool getting into the i was even studying linux linux kernel networking to understand some of the frames and and deep down in the socket level and some of those pieces because i thought well they could ask me anything and it turns out that when i got there people were so friendly to me that i felt okay maybe i've got maybe i maybe i possibly uh <laughs> got it all wrong because everyone's being so friendly everyone's asking me uh questions around random questions from operating systems to architecture to some software design if you will and what turns out was actually uh i i passed uh, obviously so i was super lucky and super happy back in the days but what i found was a uh, the interviews obviously change and there are so many departments there are so many different roles across AWS that we ended up even hiring a lot of people back in Brazil when i told them you know you actually don't really need to know all of these pieces you don't need to be a AWS cloud expert because if we were looking for AWS experts only then it would be we would be in the same position as other companies that are having difficulties to hire as well in fact we can we have a pretty comprehensive training package uh, to enable people when they get in what we actually care is how do you think how do you how do you behave our leadership principles are super important for us we live and breathe this thing so if if someone was trying to join AWS today uh, i would first try to understand where what is their education where are they coming from uh, some people are looking for software development uh, jobs like STEs that's definitely much harder because you, well it's a very specific type of job so the interviews are quite different but if you're looking for more like customer facing roles uh, like in the field like I do like solutions architect or technical account managers then the interviews are slightly different as well the process is slightly different so obviously if you're coming from a technical account manager job Ideally you should have a lot of experience with operations dealing with some customer management as well uh, maybe you have a sysadmin background but you've also been speaking publicly about processes or improvements reliability if you will that's kind of a perfect for technical account manager because it's a blend between a customer facing role and someone who's deep into the operations and stability like SRE type of thing support engineer or the support organization you have a mix of backgrounds you have both people who are sysadmins in the past and they're specialized into let's say linux or certain operating systems or uh, deployment tools if you will think about uh, ansible opsworks uh, beanstalk you name it code deploy if you will which actually if you know deployments quite well the tooling the ecosystem and the process it's not that hard to map that into say code build or beanstalk because you already know the essence of it and then solutions architect is a blend of you could you could be either someone who comes from an operations perspective consultancy or even software uh, and you already have the background on how to build solutions but you also have the customer facing aspects like consultancy if you will uh, where you wouldn't only talk to developers but you only you would basically talk to anyone inside the business to and you would have to change your tone and your messaging depending on who you're talking to there's obviously more roles into it but these are the three main areas that i think people typically start at AWS 
And uh, another thing that's really differentiates, uh, I think you talked about the, the, the leadership principles uh, quite often, and uh, certainly that is something that Amazon is constantly talking about. And one of the things that really differentiates AWS compared to other cloud providers is how much you guys interact with the customer space directly and how much that feedback actually goes back into your teams. In fact, I was talking to someone yesterday um, about AWS and uh, one of the things they, he, he said was that um, it's crazy that all these uh, different things you talk about on social media in terms of your AWS Visualist items, it's, it's crazy how often they just suddenly get uh, suddenly get announced as a new feature. Um, certainly, I mean, a lot of my um, AWS Visualist items that I sort of outlined last year or even year before has now been you know, announced as the features, which is amazing. So how does uh, that feedback, that external feedback, get actually fed into the teams within AWS and how do they become reality? Sure, it's it's a very elaborate process. I think I think there are many AWS product teams and you already, uh, people like Chris Manns and his brilliant, amazing uh, developer advocacy team. I can specifically talk about the serverless pieces, but others are quite the same. Um, so you have multiple people at AWS interacting with customers. You have people who are more vocal in social media. For instance, my role is not so much about the social media aspects, but I'm there. I love it. That's what I like to do. I like the community aspects of it. But I also spend the vast majority of my time is spent with customers and helping them navigate AWS, the challenges that we discussed, how to go through, how to improve from the hiring to tooling, etc. And as you're working with customers, from a solutions architect's perspective, you, you typically raise those feature requests uh, with product teams that directly. But there's also, because of the leadership principles and, and, the, and the big focus we have on writing, we, we also end up creating uh, uh, documents to say, these are some of the trends we've been seeing in the field, uh, working with business development managers, uh, and even internal communities where we say, We've been seeing this trend, and these are some of the customers that actually uh, have been asking, and this is exactly the feedback they've been sharing with us. So that is actually very well respected, as you already uh, pointed out. AWS cares a lot about the customer's feedback, and that has a tremendous weight, which is something I normally tell people, please be more vocal. Sometimes you are complaining about uh, something that you think you are rumbling, but write that down share that with any AWS people and they will definitely get to the right place. From that external piece and not dealing with customers on a one-to-one -one basis, you have evangelists, you have developer advocacy, you have even product, some of the product managers go out to speak as well. You have even solutions architects and some other specialists to go to speak at public conferences or because they're on social media. We have hashtags like AWS wishlist, which is also monitored by the support engineers and the customer, uh, the customer service folks. So all of this gets fed into the product teams through our systems that we use, so they can do, they can make the right, they can make informed decisions. And oftentimes they would say, like at EFS, for instance, that just came out. That's been that's been like in the pipeline uh, with multiple customer feedbacks on why they need it, and and. Product managers would often go and talk to these customers or even us, maybe we need more details. Maybe we're not so sure yet that this will work for the vast majority of customers. So we go back and forth. But this this team of this two pizza team model of teams are very nimble uh, and are very agile. It makes it easier as well. If you have all of this, like 
people and roles feeding those feedback to you in, in, a, in a way that you can easily consume and make decisions, it definitely makes this, the wheel uh, spin faster. That's great. That's definitely one of the most important differentiators when it comes to AWS and I guess I guess why we love working with AWS so much as well. Um, so probably the last question, uh, what's next for you? I hear you're coming to Netherlands soon. <laughs> Sounds like we're breaking this to public now <laughs> for the first time. Uh, yes, I'm moving to Netherlands. Uh, it's going to be next end of next month. Uh, I'm super looking forward. Uh, I have you, I have lots of friends there, so I'm really excited. And actually, I don't know if everyone knows, but back in the days, when serverless started, like 2015-ish, uh, 2016, the biggest community we had in serverless from a meetup perspective was actually Amsterdam. Um, and, and it's kind of a fun fact. And, and Netherlands is, is definitely a place I've been looking forward to, to go, uh, to basically live there for quite some time. Uh, but I was quite trying to figure out which teams are going to be and trying to settle down in some of those um, work-life decisions, if you will. So that's definitely one. Another one that's next for me is uh, you. Uh, it's being very subtle, but I changed my Twitter profile to back to Principal Solutions Architect at Developer Acceleration. It's a new team that we are creating uh, focus on those developer experience and basically work with those developers at the customer. Basically what we've been doing for, for the past few years, but more formalized now. So basically help customers build developer communities, enable their developers from design patterns to serverless containers from anything you can possibly think of from a more long-term engagement. Then obviously there's some open source stuff as well, like the power tools. I was so excited to get this out. And now I should be coming slowly back to the airline to implement some of those best practices now. I guess for now, that's a lot already <laughs> for what's next. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you here in the Netherlands, especially now that I can't fly. <laughs> um, but yeah, looking forward to that. Um, so I think that's it. Uh, I guess uh, one last thing, how do people find you on the internet? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter is uh, ator at uh, underscore lessa. Uh, that's where I spend most of my time publicly. I sometimes check LinkedIn, but Twitter is where I spend most of my time. Uh, Twitch is something I'm planning to go back either this year or next year for some live coding. There's something I've been cooking uh, with my team uh, with uh, all of this on how we can do something like that again, like the build on serverless uh, series that I typically do every year. Uh, but Twitter is actually where I am. My direct messages are open. If you're looking to join AWS and if you're having those questions, I can't promise I'm going to answer to everyone, uh, but I'm happy to give uh, some advices, if you will. But yeah, stick to the leadership principles and you'll be mostly fine. I think that would be for me. Ping me on Twitter. I'm always there. If I can help with anything or if I can introduce you to some of those great developer advocates we have or evangelists or you know product teams, I'll be happy to do too. Excellent. And uh, hi, Tor. Thank you very much to, uh, for taking the time today to talk to us. Stay safe and I'll see you in the Netherlands soon. Yeah, looking forward, man. And thanks again for having me. It's uh, such a honor. Thank you. Take it easy, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, 
and how to apply some of the well-architected concepts that were discussed in this episode, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.